more self-confidence. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that, that is, that doesn't even come from having that ideal dream physique. It just having comes from having invested your time and energy into, into something uh, and to feel as though you have value. I always say form follows function. And so I, I like, people to get involved in something that they're passionate about they enjoy what's the best diet the one you'll follow what's the best exercise the one you'll do and so uh, i encourage them to lift weights we you and i both know that that's if you're going to put things in a hierarchy of most important to least important lifting weights is the very top of that list in terms of longevity in terms of health and like we mentioned a sink for glucose for your blood sugars uh, changing your physique everything increasing your metabolism uh, bone mineral density I mean, the list goes on and on uh, but it's also, it, it, it helps in terms of the sustainability because we've seen this a lot with CrossFit women when they start touching heavy weights, next thing you know, they're competing in powerlifting because it's, it, it's, uh, uh, it's addicting. And especially with beginners, we, I love this part of it. And I, and I, and I'll be honest about, uh, about the trickery that we play to get people hooked and enticed into lifting weights we, we both know that the first month or so is just neural adaptation, that you get, you get stronger because you get more coordinated. Uh, you learn to recruit the muscles necessary, you know, in, uh, to do the movement. So first time you come in, you might be able to deadlift the bar. And then next thing you know, you're deadlifting 135. And then you add a dime. And every time you come in, you get stronger. You can do one more rep or five more pounds. That's the hook. And, and then once they start focusing on strength, then we can start getting them to be less obsessed with the scale and give them enough time to see the inches on the waist tape measurement go down, even when the scale doesn't. And that, I think, is ultimately what, uh, where we have long-term success is when they stop uh, looking at just one measurement. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturay, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and skincare, which has finally been released, which we're so, so excited about. So if you head to uh, www.saturay.com.au, you can now purchase our skincare products. And we're so excited to finally have them um, out to everyone. So today I am joined by Craig McDonald, also co-founder of New Strength uh, and big Stan Effidine. So Stan Effidine, we absolutely love him. He is just such a good guy and he's so knowledgeable. And I'm sure after you listen to this podcast, you will love him as much as we do. So Stan is the world's strongest bodybuilder and creator of the cooler as well as the vertical diet. And Craig did his best impersonation of Stan on the podcast, which I thought was pretty funny because Craig's just really good um, at impersonating people. So yeah, we were just so happy to finally get Stan on the podcast. His vertical diet is his nutrition approach and approach to training is so similar um, and in alignment with what we, you know, teach our own clients um, and he's actually been coaching women for bodybuilding since 1989. So he knows a lot about getting strong and uh, getting lean. And some of the things that we talk about or he talks about in this podcast is about carbs, you know, why they're so important. You know, talks a lot about fruit, potatoes, white rice, um, you know, how you actually need to train to change your body composition and, you know, why strength training is so important. 
the types of foods that you should include in your diet to optimize your metabolism and digestion, you know, why eating adequate calories is essential. So, you know, he really hates the the quick fix diets, just like us. Um, The benefits of bioavailable animal protein and dairy, uh, the importance of tracking and meal prepping, why, you know, he eats the same thing nearly every single day. And he talks more about his 10 minute walks and why he recommends them and also the benefits of salt. So, I, re- I, I absolutely love this episode. This is probably one of my all-time favorite episodes um, on the podcast. And, you know, as always, uh, give the episode a rating and a review. So if you've reviewed us before, you can review the podcast as many times as you like and take a screenshot of the podcast and share your biggest takeaways and uh, tag me on Instagram stories, K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-L-D. And Every uh, month I pick a winner from someone who has shared and they receive a tub of saturated premium collagen. So let's get into the episode. And yeah, I just absolutely, absolutely love to get your your, your feedback uh, on this podcast. Oh, Stan, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Our audience didn't see how troublesome it was for this old man that <laughs> To just access a Zoom call and tell you how incompetent I am with technology. Oh, well, it doesn't matter because, you know, you're the world's strongest bodybuilder. So, you know, and creator of the cooler. So who really cares about if you can get on Zoom or not? Um, uh, And I just want to, Stan, just before we start, I just want Craig to do his impersonation of you because he does this awesome impersonation of you. Can you do it, Craig? Grunting? It's... (laughs) Well, is it? Yeah, there's plenty of things to do. No, it's it's always the intro to the... uh, to the, uh, the 10 minute walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, hey, everybody, Rhino here, the world's strongest pro bodybuilder and inventor of the cooler, the world's only cooler. Keep your pre intro and post workout drinks all together inside one ice cold container. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You and got it, it right. Let, let me give you the tip. There is plenty more where that came from, just quietly. He's good. He's <laughs> good at the, you, the impersonation. So, you know, for our viewers, you're probably wondering why we have got the world's strongest uh, bodybuilder on uh, on the podcast, because we typically help um, women, you know, lose weight and tone up and, and get healthy. But, you know, Stan is knows how to get strong and he knows how to get lean. And he also is the creator of the vertical diet, which is just so aligned with our nutrition approach. And we love Stan and we just listen to all these 10 minute talks and, I think in, you know, like Stan, all the women that we work with, like me, just cycled through all these stupid diets. And I think you just speak a lot of good common sense (laughs) and about building healthy, you know, life, sustainable lifestyle habits, which is what you need to do if you want to build a good, healthy, a a healthy body and a, and a, and a good physique, I guess, because that's what the women want that work with us. Yeah. You know, it it was a, breath of fresh air and this will probably sound a lot like an echo chamber today hopefully we can come up with something to challenge each other on but uh just to see your content because you're right i'm i'm a powerlifter bodybuilder i'm kind of offensive to women to be honest with you but i've been training women for competition since 1989 and uh i've you know all the way up to the olympia level of course more recently with nadia wyatt who took third in the miss olympia and I, I train lots of women. Uh, I just mentioned Stephanie Sons, though, there in Australia. Uh, and I discovered what you discovered just from trial and error and experience long before the Internet was invented, that these over-restrictive, um, over 
cardio diets were wrecking people's bodies, their metabolisms, their general health, their hormones. Uh, and it was, it was tragic. And, you know, for many years, it was isolated to that industry. Uh, back in the late 80s, all through the 90s. Well, more recently, the fitness figure, physique, bikini industry, wellness, I, I, I don't even know what to call it anymore, professional dieters, I should say, has exploded with the advent of the internet and social media. And this, these horrible, I'll call them guru diets, have now become very per pervasive and commonplace amongst the general population, the soccer moms and the dad bods. And these women see these competitive dieters on stage in the best shape of their life and have no idea what they are going through, have gone through and will go through to achieve uh, that physique, albeit temporarily. And so the vertical diet was really spawned out of opposition to uh, all of those over-restrictive diets. It was uh, watching women go through all of those problems, as you've discussed in such great detail in, in your content over the years with your clients. Uh, you know, first and foremost, just the, the whole restriction of, of foods, the, the egg white, tilapia, broccoli diet, uh, which is unsustainable, of course, unenjoyable, uh, certainly no more effective than what we're proposing and uh, manifests itself in a whole host of, of health issues. The female triad just being the, the, the largest and most prevalent, uh, which is a chronic calorie deficit, you know, a, a low energy availability, amenorrhea, which is cessation of the menstrual period, and uh, some degree of osteoporosis or bone mineral density decline. And of course, we also see anemia, which is low iron. We see hypothyroidism. Uh, all that biotin deficiency results in a whole host of skin, hair, and nail deficiencies, hair falling out, loss of libido, uh, uh, all of those things that you have recognized with women that you've worked with over the years that you're trying to, uh, you know, hopefully get in front of. Unfortunately, uh, most of the time we get clients after the fact, which is tragic. And we have to try and go back and fix these problems. And it can be kind of time consuming, yo-yo dieting, um, you know, not focusing on weight for a while, uh, you know, getting them uh, to repair that unhealthy relationship with food, carbs, all the foods that are restricted. You know, those gurus tell you, don't eat red meat, don't eat fruit, don't eat uh, dairy. Don't salt your meals. Uh, you know, all the I'm things you need, lot. <laughs> everything you need to be healthy, all the foods we lead with. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it seems like I'm an unlikely mouthpiece for uh, that population. But in fact, it's been my passion uh, to help uh, women as well as men. And it's been my experience. I've gained and lost well over a thousand pounds throughout my 30 years of competing, albeit intentionally and learned a lot of lessons along the way. And I really open up the book, my vertical diet book, dispelling a lot of those myths. It's the very first page. It's not magic. You know, the best diet is the one you'll adhere to. And we talk a lot about uh, being, things being simple, sensible, and sustainable. Uh, so, you know, I think we're certainly on the right page together. And, and uh, I'd be more interested in finding out how we can help more people uh, before they experience all of these tragic uh, 
uh, you know, health issues. Mm, yeah, I think, and that's so awesome, uh, Stan. And I, you know, like I was that woman for 17 years and I just cycled through all of these. I did this, this, the dumbest shit. Like I remember I ate tuna and apples once for 12 weeks, just tuna and apples. <laughs> I <laughs> did keto, cut carbs, fasting. I did every protocol of fasting, but really it was just a way for me to restrict calories and try yeah. and, you know, I was always, before I met, because Craig really introduced me to proper strength training and got me, I fell in love with it. And I was like, oh, this is the best. And I started powerlifting and my bo- ate more food and my body started to change. And, you know, finally sort of like you talk about repaired that relationship with my body instead of trying to be skinny, I was eating for a performance in the gym and it just, you know, I became happier. I slept, my period became regular, you know, and I think women, they just, they think that they need to eat 1200 calories to lose weight. They think that they need to cut carbs and sugar and they want to do these, you know, really crazy drastic things. And, you know, what they need to do is some strength training, you know, walking, getting yeah. sun, eating some fruit. Like it's just a mate. Like I just, on, on my page, you get so much hate sometimes when I'm recommending that people drink juice and eat fruit and like, and I've actually, we've got some questions, specific questions here for you, if that's okay. Sure, sure. Breaking down some of these concepts and covering each one. So maybe the first one is, can you talk about um, carbs and why they're important for us Um, specifically? Because I think the big ones that women are really afraid to eat, and I was the same, is I wouldn't, I'd, I'd never ate fruit. I only ate blueberries because I was like, they're too high in sugar, potatoes and white rice because they were white and they were too much carbs. Now I'd probably eat, I eat potatoes for lunch and dinner. I drink some days I'll drink a liter of juice, you know, and if, if someone had told me, you know, eight years ago that this is what I would be eating, I would have just said, fuck no, this is there's no way that I'll ever be eating that. So can you talk about carbs and those, the fruit and the white carbs? Yeah. Well, I think we mostly see this, with calorie deficits in particular, when people cut out carbs, they're so important for energy and performance. They're also important for, uh, glucose is important for keeping the uh, liver stimulated and the liver converts 80 plus percent of uh, the inactive form T4 into the active T3, which you've spoken enough about that. And I think everybody knows by now that uh, thyroid can have a significant influence on your, your resting metabolic rate your energy levels, obviously we talked about your, your hair, hair loss, potentially so many things that it affects. Uh, and, and I don't, you know, it's not to say that, that people with a compromised thyroid can't lose weight. You certainly can. It's a little harder. It's not as though you burn zero calories because your thyroid's slow, uh, but it's just a, it's a bigger hurdle to overcome. But, and most of the effect of low thyroid is really is not in basal metabolic rate. It's in non-exercise activity thermogenesis. You're just tired all the time and you feel miserable. So you don't move. You just sit uh, almost every opportunity you get. So, and that's, I think that's a a fate worse than, than a slower metabolism is just being tired all the time and not being able to do anything uh, and not to feel good. So yeah, thyroid's huge. Fruit does have a a significant benefit to, Sugars in general, uh, but fruit in particular, because it does have, uh, you know, some fiber, some micronutrients, uh, you know, obviously uh, water associated with that. But I made a post just recently on juice because there was some post by an MD, which is all too common 
uh, you get these MDs and chiropractors trying to play nutritionist. And uh, my co-author of the vertical diet is a registered dietitian PhD who's head of dietetics for UNLV. And I learned a long time ago that if, if you want to uh, have any, any, uh, any life in this industry, you really need to, to be science-based and, and provide people actual human evidence, meta-analyses of randomized controlled trials that are outcome-oriented and not these mechanisms of action and, and these uh, mouse studies that, uh, that a lot of these um, zealots, low-carb zealots come out with. And that's not to say that you can't reach your destination uh, with low-carb or keto. It's certainly a viable option if it suits you, uh, you know, if, if you're not tired on it and, and you don't feel constrained by it and you can sustain it for the long term, which all the things I just said are, are much less likely to happen on, on that kind of a diet. It's, it's just another form of restriction. But uh, I made a post just talking about orange juice, which you would think, you know, fruits, obviously you can justify very easily with the, the extra fiber content, et cetera. But uh, even fruit juice lowers uric acid, it lowers LDL, improves non-alcoholic fatty liver. It lowers AST and ALT. We talked about this benefit for the liver and those are the liver enzymes lowers C-reactive protein, which is your inflammatory marker and reduces inflammation. So uh, there's no reason to avoid juice. And those are all published PubMed human trials that, that I just mentioned. And I, I included all of, the, uh, all of the links to those. Uh, and they're supported by actual experts in the field of nutrition. That, that's one of the first things that, that we've got to we've got to recognize is that we have access to some of the really the smartest people uh, that we've ever um, had the opportunity to have access to because we didn't I didn't have the internet when I was coming up in college and a lot of this was trial and error. Uh, you know, references like examine.com and Alan Aragon and Lane Norton and Barbell Medicine, uh, Mental Henselman's work and, uh, you know, Greg Knuckles and, and, and uh, at Mass Research Review. Uh, of course, my business partner and co-author, Damon McCune, there's so many people out there now with PhDs in nutrition that are nutritional research scientists uh, that are all saying the same thing. Uh, yet, I, I still get DMs and texts on a regular basis from people who want to attach, you know, some chiropractor um, making some vague reference to a mechanism of action, a plausible mechanism of action. Uh, or a mouse study, uh, an overfeeding study at that, with no uh, no reference to an actual human trials. And I, it's frustrating as somebody, you know, I have a science degree from the University of Oregon, and I, I always tried to be science-based. I used to scroll through microfiche of all things. It's like the eight-track tape players of uh, your dad's pickup truck when you were a kid, uh, but it doesn't exist anymore. And, and I've, I've always tried to be as science-based as possible because I fell for every, uh, you know, fad after over 30 years, every supplement, every, like you said, every diet protocol, every fasting, keto, uh, like I haven't tried it, you know, <laughs> 10 times. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just here, you know, blathering about something that I don't have any experience in. Uh, but it, 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 it's so painful to us because we see that it's so clearly and now we have to try and bring people who are, are kind of new to the whole dieting. Um, uh, maybe they've been dieting a while, but they're just now getting exposed to over the last uh, few years or five years, exposed to all this social media influence that's just not backed by, by research. And, and, and I know they're desperate. 
and they want to, to grab onto something that's like the best or a fix or a, a, a gimmick or a hack or a trick that's going to um, somehow sidestep, um, you know, the calorie equation. And unfortunately, it doesn't exist. There's only so many tools in our toolbox. And, you know, you and I talk to someone and, and what we have to offer isn't as exciting. It, it, you know, it, it takes a lot of discipline and consistency and time management. It, it takes a lot of recognizing that, that uh, food consumption isn't just about uh, willpower. It's, it's, it could be, you know, you could be eating for boredom, for stress, for, uh, uh, you know, for a whole host of reasons. And uh, we have to try, you know, psychologically, uh, psychological reasons, uh, trauma. Uh, it's, it's not just confined to uh, to willpower. And so we, and we, and we don't have very many tools to work with. So it's, it's hard, uh, to get people to be patient, uh, and to be persistent, uh, and to not look at the scale as the only measure of success. Uh, I, I think we're, we're fortunate to have, uh, I, I say, I'll give credit where credit's due in terms of changing our, um, uh, when I say our, Women in particular, their perception of uh, of the ideal physique. Uh, I think CrossFit had a lot to do with it. I think they showed powerful, strong women who were muscular uh, and didn't have to be uh, 115 pound Victoria's Secret models. You know, and that's fantastic if you were born that way. But most of most aren't. And uh, just to be able to take pride in 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 curves and being healthy and uh, being able to perform. Uh, and, and just focusing on those things. I, I think a lot of people have, I think we've given a whole new, uh, a lot of new hope. I say we, I just mean the, the women's impression of what is sexy uh, or what's achievable uh, or what's powerful or what's feminine has, has changed significantly. So we're, we're fortunate in that regard. You know, just cycling back to when you said, you know, what we, um, it's not what we're selling, but what we're trying to get women to do is not that exciting. And you're right. It's not, but you know what? I get bloody excited when I eat my ice cream every night and I get excited <laughs> when I drink my juice, you know, and I eat my, you know, at the moment I'm just a bit addicted to these sourdough muffins with eggs and cheese. And I have two oranges with it for breakfast, milky coffee. And I think, you know, so many of the women we work with stand too. there's some at that um, at the end of the scale, like me, like I was like, when I found Craig and this eating, I was 62 kilos. I'm like 70 kilos now. So I've put on a fair bit of lean mass and I'm, yeah. I've got more fat on my body, but we get a lot of women who are like, like I talked to a lady yesterday, 94 kilos. She's done the HCG diet seven times. Uh, so she restricts and then she puts it back on. And I think, you know, like for me too, and I was just always better at restricting. And I, I binged a lot, but I restricted a lot too. So I could maintain my weight and I exercised a lot, but just to stop that binge eating, like so many of the women that come to us, they just binge and binge and binge because they're restricting the sugar and the carbs. You know, once they start to, you know, drink some orange juice and, you know, eat adequate calories to still put them in a small calorie deficit. But, you know, like, God, we've got a lady in our program. She's just like 18 and a half kilos eating 2,150 calories a day, training three days a week, walking every day. You know, I think women don't realize once they actually get consistent with the tracking and eating these foods and supporting their body, you really don't have to eat in these huge calorie deficits to lose body fat. Like, it's just, yeah, I don't know, but it's like you say, trying to change their mindset because all I've ever known is in order for me to lose weight, I need to eat. I don't know why it's this magical 1200 calories. That right. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. And the women's 
physique figure bikini industry, um, they get a presentation when they go compete by, uh, by the head of that organization at the NPC, uh, Sandy Rinali. Is it still Sandy Rinali? It's been it's so long since I've been uh, around that industry. Um, but she said that very thing. She said, look, if you're just looking at the scale and you're just thinking if you get lighter and lighter that you're going to place better in these competitions, she says, it's not going to happen. The only way to actually change your body is to add muscle. And it's so much healthier. And like you said, it provides you an opportunity to be able to eat more calories, to be able to have more energy. It's a sink for glucose. It's, uh, it's an organ of longevity. Uh, it, it's just so much more valuable long-term. It helps with bone mineral density because you're going to need to load those muscles, which are good, of course will load the bones. The increase in protein intake, like the focus that you have on consuming such a wide variety of foods, including dairy, to get adequate calcium, which is huge for women, uh, along with nerve signaling and, and muscle contraction and relaxation. People don't credit uh, uh, calcium well enough for all of its benefits. Uh, so I, I think that that's kind of one of the most important messages and, and that the, the yo-yo dieters, anyhow, like you said, like the woman that you, you uh, just recently started working with, um, they can't diet. I mean, that, that's one of the first things that we have to do when we talk to an individual with a new client is what's your current situation? Have you already been yo-yo dieting? A calorie deficit and weight loss is not on, is not an option for that individual. We need to go through a period of time where you focus on, on performance and health, mm -hmm. uh, whether that includes some blood testing or just some, some other metrics for uh, measuring your general health. Uh, that has to be the primary focus. Let's get you healthy first, and then we'll see what your body will let you do. Mm. Yeah. It's amazing too. Like, sorry, oh, sorry you go, in. Craig. You go. Just, I think just adding to that point, like some of the real basic questions, and I've, I've sort of been asked this on a few other interviews you know what what can we do to help improve all these things and what can we do you know what's the people are still searching for that kind of magic bill and the first thing i say is what time do you go to bed every night yeah no one can answer the question oh it's anywhere between nine and maybe 11 i'm like well is it nine or is it 11 and and it's just like i'm just asking i'm like what are you doing an hour before you go to bed yeah. are you getting some sunlight every day and, and yeah. they still sort of push back on, yeah, but what else am I doing? I'm like, if you're not getting those lifestyle and behaviors, those fundamental things, like, as you said, it's just like you're literally, uh, what do you say? You're stepping over $100 bills to yeah, pick to up get the in the morning to do like the cardio. Yeah, we love that saying. It's, that's such a good it's, one. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned about like people are, like overlook the, the benefits of calcium. And I'm like, but also some of those lifestyle behaviors. I'm like, if you can just all of a sudden shave an hour off when you go to bed every night. If you do it for seven days, that alone will make a difference. Huge right. difference for energy. You know I mean? yeah. And clients will generally want to go through this whole list of, of other remedies to compensate for something that can't be fixed with other remedies. Yes. Uh, can I take melatonin? Can I, uh, you know, can I drink more coffee for Christ's sake? Uh, how can I improve my energy with, you know, more exercise or, or different foods? Sure. There's a, you know, you can't fix poor sleep with any of those other interventions. It's the foundation. And it, it generally when people think, um, 
uh, be careful as I, as I tread into this because there's some nuance to it. But oftentimes when people feel as though the problem is something in their diet or something in their training program, it probably is preceded by sleep whereby their diet might be okay. Their digestion might be better. Their, their training might be sufficient if they were sleeping adequately. And we see that also just with chronic calorie restriction when people presume they have significant digestive distress, which does exist. But just the chronic calorie restriction itself will make you more susceptible to a host of different digestive problems. And if we could just get adequate calories and sufficient protein, you might find you better able to tolerate some of those foods that you think are giving you problems. And that's not to say that, that a host of those issues doesn't exist, mm-hmm. um, but it, it, it's downstream from uh, the foundation, which is going to be your sleep. And the fact, as you mentioned, getting up at 4 a.m. after five hours of sleep to do fasted cardio, you're going to lose more muscle than fat. We know that. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be really, really hungry. The lack of sleep is going to start increasing your hunger hormones. Yeah, it is crazy. We, cause we've got so much going on in our, we've got a couple of businesses. We've got another business that's just about to launch some skincare. Going to send you yeah. some Stan. You'll love it. It's all saturated. It's got all these amazing, like, um, uh, actives in it. Amazing actives. But anyway, so, you know, like when you're just busy, we're really, um, diligent with our food. Like we plan and I eat a lot of food. Yeah. And we go to bed every night. I'm like, I'm messaging Craig because he sits upstairs on the third level watching the NBA. And I'm like, Craig, Craig, come on. It's time to go to bed. Get downstairs, eat. Your, we have the before bed ice cream and custard. And then we're, we're in bed at like 8.30. But it's because we, you know, when your mind's active. And so both of us yesterday woke up at four and we couldn't go back to sleep. Um, yeah. And like, we only had got, we've got the aura rings. You can see the sleep, six hours sleep. I was like, oh, I was fucking dying yesterday. I was just like, oh, kill me now. Thank God I didn't have to train. I just was a rest day, but I used to function. I, used to, I, th- I was thinking to myself, how did I used to do this? Not only did I eat enough food, I ate like 200 calories and I would have like six hours sleep every night. No wonder I was just such a mess, you know? So I think you're right. You can just start with some of those, eat a bit more food, track your food, get some protein, um, you know, and you can, some of those basic things can really, really help you. But I'm going to keep going through the questions because there's lot, there's questions and they relate to specific topics. Okay. Give me one second to plug yeah. my phone in here. Hold yeah. on. Okay. No worries. We don't want you cutting out. <clears throat> okay. All right, hey, we good? Go ahead. Okay. All right. The yeah. next one, which you'll love to talk about. So you sort of mentioned this already because I think sometimes like, and I get a lot of uh, women comment on my posts about, oh, but what about plant-based options? And, you know, they think that cutting out meat, red meat, dairy and eggs, you know, <laughs> shouldn't be eating. So can you talk about, uh, I guess, animal products and bioavailable yeah. protein and why they're beneficial? You know, and I'll start from the beginning. The best diet's the one you'll follow. And if, and there's many paths to the same destination. So it's not my goal today to, to shit on anybody else's diet program. I, uh, I just, I have a chapter in the vertical diet, both the ebook and the, and the written version uh, that, uh, that discusses vegan and vegetarian diets. And I have clients that are vegan and vegetarian, including competitive uh, physique and figure clients that are vegan. And it's just a personal choice. It's an ethical choice in their, in their situation. And that, that's, that's great. But there are some things that you need to do in order to make those diets work. And I have a whole list of those in terms of obtaining sufficient protein and leucine 
Uh, and that supplementation generally is required. And along with some of the deficiencies, the B12 and creatine uh, and omega-3s that need to be supplemented. So I do address that. It's, it's not my goal to dissuade anybody from choosing the, the diet plan that might be their preference because, you know, I, I mentioned that, that uh, you know, best diet is the one you'll adhere to. And that's a matter of personal preference. Now, having said that, for those people who will eschew animal products because they think they're going to make them fat or unhealthy, there's no evidence to that. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. Uh, another study just came out comparing a 30% protein diet to the Mediterranean diet. The Mediterranean diet, of course, is always lauded as the healthiest diet, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it was superior to the Mediterranean diet. Uh, Mediterranean diet is only 18% protein under this circumstance. And I think the, the, one of the most important things you can lean on when it comes, two most important things you can lean on when it comes to animal products. One is the, the high bioavailability of protein, the high leucine content, which triggers muscle protein synthesis with a comparatively low number of carbs, not carbs, calories. Uh, you can get a high protein to calorie ratio. If, it, if controlling calories is, your, is, is, a, is a priority, and often it is for dieting, then you have to get the most nutrients out of those calories that are left. Uh, the most protein and the most bioavailable micronutrients out of those proteins that are left or calories that are left. And especially for women, we talked about the female triad. We talked about anemia, uh, which is an iron deficiency, which is very common in women. Uh, obviously red meats is going to be a huge provider of that and red meat coupled in, a, in the heme iron, non-heme and vitamin C together actually is, is a, is a, a great uh, trifecta for helping women uh, improve their iron status. Uh, and that would be just like a, you know, a steak and some spinach and some, an orange that's a, you know, and then avoiding dairy at that meal, avoiding calcium at that meal because calcium binds to iron. So this is, I don't mean to get too deep into it, but there are, there are certain recommendations that we make that are for specific uh, circumstances. If an individual presents with anemia, we really want to go at it, you know, from all angles. Um, plus, you know, red meats, what's the three times higher in iron, six times higher in zinc and nine times higher in B vitamins than even chicken. Uh, so it's a, it's a much superior, more nutrient dense source, uh, uh, high protein, just when you go with a leaner source, like a top sirloin, et cetera, which you don't always have to do, but, uh, again, that, that bodes well for calorie control. Eggs, I talked earlier about biotin deficiencies. Eating egg whites, there's no biotin. And there's avidin in the egg whites, which binds to biotin. So if you're consuming a ton of egg whites and, and no yolks, then you're going to bind to the biotin in your system. And then you start to get the dry skin, hair, and nails. Uh, the choline, which is great for the liver, of course, is in there. Uh, calcium, as I mentioned, people avoiding dairy is another animal protein source. Uh, calcium, you know, dairy has been shown to be cardioprotective. They, they don't even count the saturated fats in dairy when it comes to uh, potentially exposure to elevated LDL in some individuals, uh, those with hypercholesterolemia. So, you know, those are all, and it's the most highly bioavailable source. Uh, it, 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 you know, I could go on and on about the benefits of dairy. Um, obviously fish, uh, salmon for the omega-3s, it's fantastic. Those are kind of my four go-to, you know, a lot of people hear about the vertical diet. They think it's steak and rice. <laughs> and it really, it's, it, it, it's a statement that you don't have to avoid steak and rice is really what yeah, the statement yeah. is. And most of my dieters never get to rice. Most of my dieters uh, have to get sufficient potassium. And that's in uh, my foundation of carbohydrates that includes a potato, 
mm. spinach, squash, fruit, mm. uh, you know, and then you get hundred milligrams of potassium for every ounce of meat that you eat. So don't exclude, you know, any of those dairy included. Uh, so I, I, I get, I, certainly I, I address calorie consumption. Then I focus on proteins and the, mm. the highest bioavailable sources of proteins with the most micronutrient density. Uh, and then I'm, I'm trying to fill in the rest of the gaps with the other micronutrients. Potassium in particular is one of the largest, you know, needing 4,700 milligrams a day. It's significant yep. uh, with the, you know, a broad range of, of fruits and vegetables mm. uh, and include potato, which is a starch and a good, nice prebiotic as well. Uh, so it's kind of all in that foundation and it, it isn't just red meat. I, all of my dieters consume at least one or two eggs a day. If they're not allergic, uh, they consume at least three servings of dairy. I got to get a thousand milligrams of calcium in, uh, they consume, you know, about a gram of protein per pound of body weight if they're dieting or lean weight or goal weight, if they have a significant amount of weight to lose. Um, if, if they're gaining weight, I actually cut their protein back a little and increase their carbs and, uh, to fuel workload. So I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around from one spectrum to the other, but uh, it is individualistic based on, on the person's needs. But I do find that, that the animal proteins in particular are more, pref more preferential, uh, more digestible, uh, lower calorie per protein uh, volume. Uh, it, it just, I think those are the kinds of foods that people would, would eat if they, if they believed, as we do, that uh, they can and still reach their fitness or physique goal, I should say, uh, in generally people who are fitness oriented pretty much know that they need to be consuming, uh, you know, a, a broad range of, of, uh, good quality protein sources from animals. Mm. And it's just enjoyable. Like just every meal I look forward to now, whereas before I'd be like, Oh, I'm on this diet and I'll be thinking about what I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't eat. And, you know, I yeah. interviewed this lady, the one I was telling you about who's lost this 17 and a half kilos. She's still on her journey, but she said, you know, Kitty, I just wanted to find a diet where I could eat all the foods I like and lose weight. And she's like, this is yeah. it. I plan my food. Yeah. I love my food. And this actually leads into the next question I was going to ask you. So one thing that we really encourage our clients or we get them to, they have to do it if they join our program is we, you know, meet with them, you know, get, get to understand their goals. And then our coaches set them customized macro targets and calorie targets based on their goals. And so then they need to, we teach them how to build their own meal plans, you know, encouraging them to eat certain foods, obviously, like you say, and then obviously there's other foods that they can eat. Cause you know, I think if your digestion is good, you should be able to eat pretty much anything occasionally and not have any issues you should be able to digest it you know like we a couple of times a week we have spaghetti bolognese and we have this beautiful italian pasta that we just absolutely love and you know when i was all fucked up doing all the dieting i couldn't tolerate pasta like i'd get really bloated and now i can eat a big bowl of pasta and i have no issues so can you talk about the importance of tracking and understanding yeah. why you know, it's important? I'm glad, sorry to reach I'm glad, you, I'm glad you mentioned that because you know I've often said that move more, eat less is factual. It's true at its core. Mm. I say it's truthful, not useful. It's like telling a, a poor person to save more, work harder or something. I mean, it's just, you have to give them more than that. And so what I refer to is the studies on uh, what do successful dieters do? And unfortunately, we have the National Weight Control Registry, which is the largest study of successful dieters who have lost over 66 pounds and kept it off for more than six years. 
and uh, they they have kept good track of what these individuals' behaviors are. Uh, first and foremost, 98% of them modified their food intake. They went on a diet. You know, a plan is better than no plan. This idea that you can just wing it uh, is not going to work. So they went on a diet. I know people say that diets don't work because there's a high recidivism, but it's it's not that diets don't work. It's that people go off the diet. Uh, we know that. And so there's a, and it was kind of the, the purpose of your question is how do we help people adhere for longer periods of time? Uh, 94% of successful dieters increase their physical activity. That's a no brainer, but it wasn't significant. It was, it was walking, mm-hmm. uh, which is we could talk later about the 10 minute walks and why they're so valuable and sustainable and beneficial. Um, 78% of them ate breakfast every day. There you go, intermittent fasters. <laughs> it's completely, it's completely up to you. If you, if you want to eat breakfast, eat breakfast. If you don't want to eat breakfast, don't eat breakfast. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it's, it's pers- it's your personal preference. Uh, my daughter doesn't like breakfast. My son does. And I don't, you know, I don't fight it. Yeah. And it may depend if she has a big day or PE or sports or gymnastics that day, you know, I'll make sure she gets at least one or two meals in before that event. But, um, she just doesn't like eating breakfast in the morning. That's fine. But it's not, it's not required, just like it's not required to avoid red meat or dairy or mm. eggs or fruit to, to get lean and to get fit. You don't have to skip meals. You don't have to intermittent fast. You can, if it helps you spontaneously create a da- calorie deficit, and you can maintain it. It's sustainable and enjoyable for you as a lifestyle. Then it, it's recommended if it's easy for you. Uh, 75% of successful dieters weighed themselves regularly, as you just mentioned. Uh, and, and you have to be educated about weighing in order so that people don't get this, they, what they call it, uncomfortable relationship with the scale. People need to, be, need to understand that it, it's, uh, it, it fluctuates, especially women, and that you really just want to weigh in every day and take the average for the week and then look at each week's average over the course of the month and do you see the, a trend in the right direction. Uh, and when they start to, to, and I get this because my wife's a chronic dieter and she's Samoan and she even looks at food and she gains weight. All of her sisters are 300 pounds and, uh, she's, she's fought hard, uh, all her adult life to, to maintain her fitness. And, uh, she, when I already know, cause I live with it and I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be the diet guy. If she, if she steps on the scale and it's up two pounds, it's a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and so I have to, I have to consistently remind her that, that we're looking at the trend, the average, and there will be fluctuations. Uh, many times, I'll just say, it was yesterday leg day, and most of the time it was. And then, so you have more inflammation, more glycogen storage, more water retention inside the muscle as a result of glycogen storage. Um, you could have had a lot more fiber the day before and just have more food bulk and again, water in the, in the stomach and bowels. Uh, so there's a lot of things that can influence that. Uh, obviously, women uh, with their menstrual period is going to affect water retention. So uh, all of those things are important. But weighing is a form of tracking and uh, a very effective form of tracking. It, it, uh, I have my clients send me a picture of every meal that they eat every day. It takes them two seconds just to snap a shot and send it off to me. Uh, I have them send me their morning body weight every morning and their hours of sleep. Those are the three biggies. And then once a week, I'll get a waist measurement and a progress picture. Uh, it's more for their benefit than mine that we have some record. 
I haven't competed in, in what's almost nine years now since I was 45. I'm 54 now. And I still print out a little spreadsheet, a little Excel spreadsheet, and it has the days of the month across the top. And it has this little list of check items, similar to the ones that I just mentioned. Uh, my 10-minute walks, my hours of sleep, uh, whether or not I trained that day, uh, my body weight, my AM body weight, my weekly waist measurement. And I track all of that with little X's or a little number. And anytime I don't feel as though my, my training or my progress is going the way I want it, I can just take a two-second glance at that chart and know immediately. And, and it holds me accountable when I see, oh, five hours of sleep. Well, bingo, no wonder you're tired, you know? <laughs> And it's just staring me in the face. I can't make a bunch of excuses and I don't start Googling the internet for a supplement <laughs> to fix my problems. You know, I'm, I'm feeling a little lethargic lately. Maybe I should take, I don't know, Nicorette or some stupid thing like that. Uh, when really, I, you know, I can just look at the average sleep and, and recognize right there that, you know, I'm not, you know, adequately uh, giving myself the foundation. I'll tell you, one thing above and beyond tracking, tracking is huge, um, is meal prep, as yes. you know. And, and you put a lot of content out on meal prep. And I was excited to see when I was scrolling through some of the meals you were recommending. There was steak and potato and cheese and fruit and sourdough bread and bone broth and, and chicken thighs instead of chicken breast and rice noodles. And, and you had your homemade ice cream on there. And I was like, this is fantastic. Um, but meal prepping is the single best thing you can do in order to, to achieve success because then your portion control, your portions are controlled uh, because generally when people don't, aren't successful in their diet, 99% of the time, they're not, they're, they're underestimating their calorie intake. They're just overeating. Mm -hmm. And I hate saying that because it's like blaming you, you know, you're, you're lazy or you're, you know, whatever. Uh, and that's not the point. And there's lots of reasons why people overeat, as mentioned, you know, whether it's boredom or, or stress or trauma, et cetera, or just, you know, in, in, a, in a great many cases, just uh, food deserts or, uh, you know, socioeconomic conditions with uh, too much, you know, working too much, don't have time to meal prep and you're eating fast food. Um, you know, and there's a, a preponderance of fast food places concentrated in these low socioeconomic places. So this is a much broader conversation. And I'm not here to pretend like I can fix, uh, you know, the obesity epidemic. Uh, that's going to take a lot more than, than meal prepping and daily weigh-in. Uh, but for those people who are in the position to utilize uh, some of these strategies, these are the most effective. And um, meal prepping being one of the, the best whether you make it yourself or hire a meal prep company, it's kind of why I started a meal prep company was I just found that it was such a successful uh, way of, uh, and I use, and I've meal prepped for, for 30 years. I've carried Tupperware around in my bag. You know, when I was in college, I, I had, I had food in my bag, not books when I went from class to class. And, uh, and now I've done a lot of videos when I travel, I travel a lot. I've been in, in, 14 countries and all 50 states in the last four years. I've done over 200 seminars and I fly almost every weekend, uh, uh, except when COVID was, was, uh, was, uh, had us shut down and I have to take my own food. I'm, I'm, my digestion is such that I can't tolerate a few things that are very common in, in the industry, such as seed oils in particular, mm -hmm. gives me severe gastric distress. So I can't eat at airports and, and room service and, and, uh, 
you know, fast food. I can't have those things just because it, it, uh, I get digestive problems. So I pack my meals. I'll cook them and pack them. Uh, I'll take a rolling Coleman cooler if I'm gone for a week with 30 meals. Laugh, laugh at me as you may, but uh, and, and we and, love and, it, Stan. We love it. This, we we we're totally on board with this. <laughs> this isn't intended to be a a, a a confessional about my OCD, but we went to Hawaii uh, a few weeks ago. I took my wife and kids to Hawaii, and I packed thirty meals in a Coleman cooler of meal prep, frozen meal prep. Uh, even though we went out and ate as well. And I wasn't trying to be a miser, although I did save a ton of money because Hawaii is <laughs> really expensive to eat in. Um, and, and the kids, you know, every time you go to a restaurant, it's 50 bucks per person and the kids eat like $2 worth of food. But uh, we, had, we had a good experience. I'm, now I'm making excuses for myself, but I just put 30 meals into a rolling Coleman cooler and put a, a strap around it. And I checked it onto the plane. And when I landed, I stayed at, we stayed at a place with a kitchenette and I had all my meals for the week and kids meals and, 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 you know, fill-ins for my wife. And, uh, I do that when I travel anywhere for more than a few days. And if I only go for a few days, then I, I just put a number of meals into my check bag. I just wrap them in a towel. Uh, generally, I fly out on Friday and I'm home on Sunday, so I only need about you know ten meals to get me through mm -hmm. the weekend or so. Uh, I I take all those with me, and even when I'm home, which I work out of the home the rest of the week, uh, all when I'm making breakfast, I'll make two more meals and I'll put them into a thermos, a little twenty four ounce double insulated metal. Yeah, yeah, the thermo, it's the best. Man, <laughs> I gotta tell you, and I hate saying this because I've been in this industry so long that I don't say this much, but. It was life changing for me yeah. to get a thermos because I used to eat that that crappy cold food out of plastic Tupperwares, and now my food stays hot for 10, 12 hours in a thermos, and I'm sitting there on an airplane with steam coming out of my monster mash as I'm <laughs> eating next to people who are foraging for peanuts and and crackers uh, on a you know on a six hour flight. Uh, but nonetheless, I, uh, I enjoy my meals uh, like you, and, and I love the food that I eat. It feels good on me. And I've often said many times now that I don't eat food I like. I eat food that likes me, and I make that decision about an hour after I eat. Yeah. And I do like the foods that I eat, to be honest. I like how they make me feel. That's how I, I determine it. And that's not to say that I won't grab a bite of something that, that uh, you know, like a pizza here or there. But I tell you what, it doesn't make me feel good. An hour later, yeah. I regret it. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah, feels no, good you, going down at the time. But then afterwards, you're like, oh, do I really need to eat that? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, occasionally. Yeah. It's occasionally. Because, you know, you're like, I think, oh, Stan, you are just preaching to the choir here. We're so glad that you're talking about the food prep because that's what we just hammer to our clients. Like we had this call. We do like these weekly group calls and we get on and have chats with the women. And um, this one lady, she's really awesome. Craig had to give her a good kick up the butt. Um <laughs> with getting consistent with her meals and not drinking alcohol. But she was telling me, oh, you know, Craig's got me on 2,100 calories now and he's helped me do up a meal plan. And he asked me just to stick to it for a week so we could see the result of eating the same foods at the same calories. Yeah. And she's like, I can't believe it. I'm losing weight. And, you know, before when I was doing my own tracking, I was eating 16 to 1,700 and I wasn't losing weight. And I said, well, that's not true. You obviously weren't eating that, those <laughs> calories because it's not possible to eat more calories. I said, you probably were inaccurately tracking. I said, how are you tracking? She's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I was eyeballing things, putting them in, not weighing, yeah. picking like medium steak. So, you know, it's just so interesting. Like sometimes with our clients, if they're, 
having a million different things and, you know, they just can't get consistent. We just say, look, let us do a meal plan together with you with the foods that you like from the food list and the, the meal frequency you enjoy. We just want you to eat the same thing for a week and boom, they get results. Yeah. You know, and again, we hate mentioning it because it sounds like we're blaming the individual and it, it, it's terrible and people get defensive as a result. But how many times have we all, uh, particularly when we were younger, <laughs> written a check that we didn't, we didn't track how much money we had in the bank and we ended up getting an overdrawn and we got mad at the bank because <laughs> we got an NSF fee. <laughs> It's like, it's no different than your budget and your bank accounts. And you have to be accurate about tracking these things and bites, sips, snacks, sauces, they add up really quickly. Finishing the last two nibbles of your kid's breakfast that they didn't eat. Mm-hmm. That stuff adds up really fast. And, and then the Friday night, I mean, if you were to sit down and calculate all the quote unquote cheat days in a year, mm-hmm. holidays, birthdays, get togethers, you know, girls night out, whatever. Uh, and even worse for your kids, because then you've got 30 kids in their classroom who also have birthdays. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, we had cake today. And I'm just, what? <laughs> you have cake every day. Somebody's got a birthday every day, you know? And, and uh, you know, my daughter just had a birthday over the weekend. She just turned 10. And so, of course, it turned into two days, which was two days of pizza and cake. And, and, and I'm following them around, you know, trying to supervise how much garbage they're eating. Uh, I, have a, I do have one rule in my house. I'm writing a book currently called uh, Vertical Kids, and it's about how to. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, I, I'm excited. It, 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 and it goes it goes beyond just telling them what to eat, but how to uh, how to learn about food. And then, uh, again, techniques for compliance and for parents to monitor this. That's not cumbersome. Uh, it's so hard for us to keep track of it, let alone our own diet. Um, but one of the, the foundational principles that I do with my kids, if they want to treat, they got to eat their protein first. Mm. And that's very helpful. And they got to meet their protein demand for the day first, if mm. they want to treat. And I hate using treats as rewards, but I live in the real world. I'm a parent. I've got three kids. <laughs> you know, <laughs> anybody who ever tells me that you shouldn't use treats for rewards, I'm like, you don't have kids, do you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you shouldn't have an iPhone when you drive somewhere. It's like, well, you don't have kids, <laughs> you know, when you take a trip, uh, your, your, your computer babysitter. But uh, I it, generally speaking, I'll weigh, I ask parents to weigh their kid. And if, if they're in a, with, you know, a reasonable uh, body fat percentage, I want them to get a gram of protein per pound of body weight. And this comes from uh, uh, Dr. Anthony, um, uh, Jose Antonio, actually, of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, who has two college-age sports-playing girls. And this was his assessment. And again, because we're too busy and the likelihood that we'll implement a complicated program and track it and the kids can be able to comply is, is, is fruitless. Um, and so he said, get them a gram of protein per pound of body weight. Don't worry about the rest. And that's from an assortment of animal sources in my mind. And mm-hmm. I just was at Costco a few weeks ago and came across that um, Fairlife chocolate protein drink. It's actually ultra filtered milk. Mm-hmm. And it was 30 grams of protein with two grams of sugar. So if my kids want a PB and J, which is not great protein and not very mm-hmm. much protein and not, and, and, and not sufficient in leucine, <laughs> uh, they have to drink a, a fair life with it. That's, that's my requirement. If you want this, you got to have that. 
uh, even in a, in a, and that's not even a treat. You know, most people would think a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is a lunch. Uh, I think it's inadequate. Uh, so I try and supplement it uh, because it's something that they often uh, prefer to have for lunch. So I just make sure that I pair it with something that gets some adequate protein. And by the end of the day, then I've already showed them there's, and I'll even pull out a piece of paper and, and track. I showed them how many uh, grams of protein are in an egg. They recognize an egg now as six grams of protein. They recognize it as that. They identify it as that. They recognize an ounce of beef as seven ounces of protein or an ounce of chicken. And they're always asking me, how much of protein is in this? How much protein is in this? And, and those are the questions to ask. I'm, I'm not particularly exclusionary, to be honest with you. I, I, I try not to, to create a good food, bad food environment. Uh, I'm inclusionary. I, I just say, or inclusive, I, I just ask them to, to uh, look at the meal as a whole and tell me, are you getting sufficient protein? Beyond that, I'm, I'm less inclined to stress over it. That's so cool. When you release a book, we'll have to get you on the podcast to talk about yeah, thank it you. and promote it. That'd be awesome. Cause I think to myself, Oh, like if only, although I never remember my mom doing any dieting. I think a lot of women that I speak to their mums set them up again, not to blame, but they see their mothers dieting from a very young age and doing all these restrictive diets. So they obviously yeah. then do the same thing. My mom didn't diet. I just am an extremist and loved extreme things and just did, I took lots of drugs and drank and, you know, just did all the stupid shit when I was younger, but um, yeah, imagine if your kids could grow up with just a better understanding of food, like you say, not excluding things, understanding the protein, like it hopefully would set them up well for when they become an adult, especially women, so they don't have to get sucked into this like stupid diet culture. But yeah, the tracking, like a lot of women, I get pushed back. They, they're like, Kitty, I feel like the tracking is restrictive and um, uh, stressful. And I believe that it's their approach to it. So once we teach that, like if I was in the fucking app, every day entering foods, getting to a day thinking, oh, fuck, I've still yeah. got like 50 grams yeah. of protein. So once, you know, I say to them, look, plan ahead, sit down at the start of the week, prep up. Like I pretty much eat the same breakfast, lunch and snacks yeah. just about every day. And then the dinners, I just rotate. And I understand with a family, your kids don't want to eat the same shit every night. So they re- rotate the dinners. I'm like, once you do the plan, it's really easy. And I think too, like, obviously it depends on your goals, but once you get to, like, you have to be stricter when you are aiming for a specific goal once you get to maintenance like my calories range maintenance is a range for me you know I'm not quite as diligent as Craig right now because I don't have any goals but like you know I'll still have a few alcoholic drinks every couple of months I'll still like you say eat out and I don't track the meal but my weight stays the same so you know I think if women are thinking I guess it, it really does depend on your goals like we've got a client Anna, which I think just shows the value of really tracking consistently. Like she's competing in, um, she's been in our program for like three or four years and she's one of those women that's just like so um, consistent. She just loves it. She loves the life, loves the lifting. She's like getting on stage. She's so shredded. Hey, Craig, how lean would she be? Ridiculous. Like she's shredded. She's oh, like well, five she, weeks she, out. A, yeah, she's five 50, weeks out. She's almost got the striated glute look. 54 wow. kilos, eating been, like... Yeah, 2,500 calories a day. And she just trains and walks, does her strength training and walks. So, um, yeah, it's. I love that. I just posted, I think I just posted a 127 pound bikini girl that eats 2,650 a day. Those are my favorite stories. I mean, I think I read about that one. Yeah. And like, 
it was like two or three years ago, she was on the 1200 calorie diet. She was constantly dieting, constantly competing, constantly rebounding. It was, it was tragic. You mentioned some very important things that some people may scoff at or, or, or uh, maybe initially think are, are uh, not enjoyable, but you mentioned eating pretty much the same thing every day. That's one of the strategies that is, is beneficial for satiety, for appetite control. There's a, uh, something called food reward. When you eat something different, you tend to eat more of it. When you eat something more palatable, like when you open the fridge and you don't know what you're hungry for and you look around until you find something that, that uh, triggers your, your, uh, your palate, you'll eat more of it. When you're driving around and you, you need food, it's time to eat and you pull into a, uh, a fast food place or a restaurant, you generally pull into one that has food you enjoy, you'll eat more of it. And so those are strategies we use. Meal prep uh, just kind of helps avoid the fast food trip and the food reward. Uh, eating the same foods, you tend to eat less of them at any one sitting. You get, you, you get satiated a little quicker. So those are strategies. Obviously, increasing protein intake is a strategy. Satiety. Um, I have, uh, like when I'm trying to gain weight, I have people eat ground beef and white rice with bone broth and scrambled eggs, and they can down a ton of it, right? And put a decent amount of salt on it. But when I'm having people diet, then I'll use steak because just mechanically speaking, you know, it takes longer to cut and chew and it has less surface area, it takes longer to digest, keeps you satiated longer. I use the high satiety index, boiled potatoes, oranges. Those are foods that tend to keep you full longer, a little higher in fiber, big glass of water right at the beginning of a meal, you know, the kinds of things that'll stretch your stomach, be mindful when eating. If you're sitting scrolling on your phone or watching TV, you might tend to eat more for a longer period of time than if you just stay focused on, you know, what it is you're on, on the, the meal. Uh, those are all, and, and I know they sound, uh, they don't, don't sound like a lot, but those are strategies that can be uh, pretty darn effective, particularly when used collectively. Uh, and recognized as strategies to help people with, with appetite. Because the number one people, reason people go off the diet is they get hungry. Then number yeah. two is because they get tired. Those are the two, two reasons. And they're probably not eating food they enjoy. Like we say, that's why we want to teach our clients to do the meal plans themselves. So I'm like every week, what's like, I, lo I honestly love the food that I eat. And I think you touched on this too. It's about how it makes you feel. And really like now, not that I'm old, I'm like 41, but I think, as I've gotten older, I just value sleeping well and having good energy every day and being able to train. Like I, re to me, I value performance and getting stronger so, so much. And if, when I'm eating like this, I just feel happy and balanced and, you yeah. know, so it's not even just how you look, it's how you feel. And I think I'm so passionate about it because it just changed my life so much. Like it allowed me to you know, I left my job in mining and we started, I mean, bought this bloody gym, Craig and I bought this gym. We just had no idea what we were doing, paid too much. Like now we've been in business for a while. We look back and we're like, what? We paid like a hundred grand for this shitbox gym that had no systems, no nothing. We <laughs> built it up, you know, then we built this online program. But I think I would never have done any of that if I didn't have the energy and resilience that I have now because I eat this way. So I just feel like it's like women come into our program and yeah, they change their bodies and their health, but like, and not, not saying that everyone's going to leave their husband, but they can then face some of the like harder things in their life. Like they might have a relationship that they're happy in. They leave a toxic job. 
you know, they can have harder conversations with people and their kids yeah. and their mum. So I think it's not just about how you look. More self-confidence. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that that is that doesn't even come from having that ideal dream physique. It just having comes from and having invested your time and energy into into something uh, and to feel as though you have value. I always say form follows function. And so I, I like people to get involved in something that they're passionate about, they enjoy. What's the best diet? The one you'll follow. What's the best exercise? The one you'll do. And so uh, I encourage them to lift weights. We, you and I both know that that's, if you're going to put things in a hierarchy of most important to least important, lifting weights is the very top of that list in terms of longevity, in terms of health. And like we mentioned, a sink for glucose, for your blood sugars, uh, changing your physique, everything, increasing your metabolism, uh, bone mineral density, I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, but it's also, it, it, it helps in terms of the sustainability because we've seen this a lot with CrossFit women when they start touching heavy weights, next thing you know, they're competing in powerlifting because it's, it, it's, uh, uh, it's addicting. And especially with beginners, we, I love this part of it. And, I, and, I, and I'll be honest about, uh, about the trickery that we play to get people hooked and enticed into lifting weights. We, we both know that the first month or so is just neural adaptation, that you get, you get stronger because you get more coordinated. Uh, you learn to recruit the muscles necessary, you know, in, uh, to do the movement. So first time you come in, you might be able to deadlift the bar. And then next thing you know, you're deadlifting 135. And then you add a dime. And every time you come in, you get stronger. You can do one more rep or five more pounds. That's the hook. And, and then once they start focusing on strength, then we can start getting them to be less obsessed with the scale and give them enough time to see the inches on the waist tape measurement go down, even when the scale doesn't. And that, I think, is ultimately what, uh, where we have long-term success is when they stop uh, looking at just one measurement. And Stan, this is perfect because this is a question I want to ask you. So what a lot of women struggle with, and I probably was the same before I understood everything and met Craig, is that they're like, okay, they, they currently look like A and they want to look like this more toned, you know, they, I use the word toned because that's what women understand. They want this toned athletic body and they don't understand that, you know, like as an example, like let's just say, you know, you're a 60 kilo woman, like actually a good example is tell, tell Stan about that lady you were talking about. Like, and this probably leads into the question. She's like, Oh, look, I've only, I've been training eight weeks and why don't I look like I want to look yet? I don't understand why it is that I need to get stronger to look like this toned athletic body. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, she, first of all, she comes from a ultra marathon background. So she's tiny, 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 right? Yeah. Restricting really low protein. So it's just you're changing a lot of those fundamentals, everything we've kind of spoken about here on the podcast so far. And then she was like, yeah, but how do I, you know, like I'm seeing some measurements change, you know, and like literally, as you said, like at the moment, I'm just like looking at the videos. I'm like, you teach you about brace and just form of how to execute a deadlift or a squat and those sort of things. We're not even really focusing on the progressive overload so much, you know, I'll use some machines to kind of get that at this stage but it's very much about skill development right now. And I said, look, you're just starting to get this, you know, your deadlift's looking really, really good. You're currently, a bit, she's like 57 kilos, she's just tiny. And I said, look, what, what you're trying to articulate, and, and I, I'd use one of our other coaches, April, who's also 57 kilos. 
but she's competed in powerlifting and and some done some bodybuilding shows and she she looks like this version that she wants to look like and i said how do you think everyone she looks great you know big round peach bottom and the nice shoulders and all that sort of stuff and i'm like well let's just use the deadlift as example i said you're currently doing 65 kilos for seven and that's a pretty hard effort for you i said april's doing about 117 and a half for 10 so I said that version of yourself that you will ultimately want to look like is going to look that way once you become capable of that strength uh, feat that April is doing. She looks the way she does as a result of what she can do. Yeah. Form follows function. Yeah. And she was like, oh, okay. So I need to add like 50, 60 kilos to the bar in order. And I'm like, yeah, but think about it logically. If you were to do that with the same standardized form, do you think your body would look different? She was like, I think it would look much different. I'm like, right. So what's the goal then? She's like, okay, I've got to just keep head down, bum up approach for the next 12 months to add all this weight. I'm like, yep. I said, unfortunately, building muscle is a very slow process. Right, but yeah. get excited by the weekly progression, you know. See, but not only, thing. not only will your your physique be firmer, you'll have more muscle and better shape and tone because you're going to have better muscle bellies. But you'll be able to eat more food, and you'll be able to to. Obviously, I think the confidence that comes with being able to lift is 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 great. We call the. There was an article that I link in my ebook. In my ebook, I link a whole host of different uh, videos and articles and references that people can click on to take a deeper dive into certain topics. And one of them was called uh, The Final Nail in the Cardio Coffin. And it described a triathlete, a female triathlete, who, uh, when she was in the peak of her competitive career as a tri- triathlete, she would carry a significant amount of body fat around her waist uh, that was loose and, and flabby. Uh, and she was on very minimal calories. Then when she switched to CrossFit, she was able to, uh, and did a whole lot less of that, that steady state, long endurance cardio, just put in fewer miles and started doing more lifting. Uh, she ended up having a six pack. She was about the same weight, but it dramatically changed her appearance as the comparison that you just made between the, the two similarly weighing individuals we call it tofi thin on the outside fat on the inside uh, for people that just do too much cardio and over restriction uh, and that's not sustainable you gotta ask her you know what's your plan in five years to run 70 miles a week and eat 1200 calories a day of egg whites and tilapia that's not sustainable it's not enjoyable it's not a lifestyle that anybody wants to to participate in long term if and, and I get it. I was a competitor. I competed in powerlifting and bodybuilding. I was a professional. Uh, I understand there's a difference between health and fitness. Fitness being the ability to perform a particular duty or task. The fitness level required to be a world's strongest man or a UFC fighter or, or a, you know, a world record holding powerlifter. Or even a 14-year-old gymnast in the Olympics, for that matter. Or a 10-year-old badminton player in China. That's not healthy. Those people suffer extraordinary amount of injuries. Most of them burn out. Uh, they, you know, on the dieting end, they suffer from, as mentioned, all those different health problems of the female triad. On the bulking side, that they, they get metabolic syndrome and end up with fatty liver and high cholesterol and high blood pressure. I get it. You know, that, that, those are the sacrifices that we make to compete at that level. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy. It's not enjoyable. It's not 
anything that you're going to be able to do long term. So I'm not stepping in the way of anybody's goals. I've helped a lot of people achieve a very high level of success in professional sports. And I feel like a lot of what I do is mitigate damage over the mm-hmm. process. And uh, I've been around long enough to where I've now followed many of these athletes into their later years when they've retired from competition. Uh, and, you know, we make significant changes. You got to kind of redefine yourself. And if you're ready to do that, uh, you know, there's certainly an over-restricted diet and too much workload uh, isn't something that you're going to be able to sustain with a family and a career and everything else. So I think what we recommend to people is takes less time and less effort. You know, meal prepping actually saves you time and money. The weightlifting is actually a bigger return on your investment than, than hours and hours plodding away on a, on a bicycle or a track. And again, uh, best exercise is the one you'll do. So, I, you know, I want you to enjoy your training, but we try and figure out ways to make that enjoyable. Mm. And actually just to finish off, um, just to make sure I've, I think pretty sure I've asked you all the questions. Uh, cause I know that you probably need to finish up soon. Do you, I know you said, have you got to drop your kids off or something at three or do something? Oh okay yeah, three thirty. Yeah, yeah okay, we're doing so, good. So okay, so uh, we've got about ten minutes left. So I think probably out of these next questions, one thing, Stan, that we really encourage our clients to do is get some daily movement in. So we're like, whatever it is that you enjoy, we say, you know, like some. I've got this friend who likes bloody rollerblading. You know, go play with your kids. Go for a bike ride. Go for a swim. A lot of our clients, we just because it's easy for them, steps. Getting some steps in. Getting out in the sun in the sunlight. And we say to them, look, do what is, I guess convenient for you so some like for example we love we live near the beach so with nine minutes from the beach we take the dogs down to the beach every morning play with them in the water if we have time in the work days and we walk and we walk back which is good for us some of our clients can't do a long walk like that they'll break it up like into your 10 minute walks um but we try and encourage them all to get out get sun and do some movement so can you talk about your 10 minute walks and why they're beneficial yeah. movement these things have been extraordinary and everybody talks about them now. It was something I implemented over 10 years ago. It was rather than, I was never the guy who would go to the gym and do a 40 minute treadmill session. It's just not going to happen. And I, I don't believe most people are. Not only is it, is it unenjoyable and unsustainable, but it's not terribly effective for weight loss. We know that more cardio does not equal more weight loss. Your body down regulates the number of calories it consumes, and, uh, makes you hungrier. Uh, we call compensation, you know, when you go in and, and do these workouts, you end up sitting more and eating more. Uh, I don't think it's a very effective, I don't recommend it to anybody to, uh, uh, an ex- unless it's an athlete that needs to increase their cardiovascular fitness. And then I've, I've got a specific prescription and it's measurable and, and, um, and progressible. But with respect to the 10 minute walks, uh, the best way to create a habit is to attach something new to something that you already do, that you uh, regularly do. So we attach the 10-minute walk to a meal, which has a whole great host of benefits. It, it's cause, it helps with postprandial glycemia, so your blood sugar doesn't elevate as high or for as long. It helps with digestion, helps with recovery to move more frequently throughout the day than just one uh, bout of movement. Um, we also see in research that, that three 10-minute walks a day is more effective than one 30-minute bout at the end of the day in terms of uh, all the benefits that I just mentioned. So uh, and you could do it anywhere. You know, I, I go to a restaurant at night, I walk out the door, I set my timer for five minutes and I start walking down the street, you know, depending on what neighborhood I'm in, I'm sure or the weather. And when it, when the, uh, buzzer goes off and I turn around, I walk back to my car. That's my 10 minutes. Um, I walk my kids to school in the morning. That's my 10 minute walk. I pick them up in the afternoon. If I'm traveling, I walk around the hotel. 
And it's an easy decision. There's many times I've been walking around a hotel um, or even in an airport when everybody's standing around staring at the turnstile that's not moving. I'm, I'm walking around rather briskly. It's, it's not, you know, a leisure walk. I, I, my arms are swinging. It's not a run. You know, I can't sing, but I could walk, I talk. And it's a brisk walk and, and it's kind of recharges my battery and does all those other things in terms of digestion and blood sugars. But there's many times, many dozens and dozens of times I've walked around hotels in the morning. And if the weather's bad, I'll walk up and down the hallways and up and down the stairs. I'll get my 10 minute walk in, doesn't matter where I am. And as I'm walking around the hotel and each time I walk by the front door, I'll see somebody outside smoking. And I, I used to think to myself, I mean, look at that idiot, you know, <laughs> he could be doing what I'm doing, you know, instead of sitting there smoking for 10 minutes, he could be walking around this building. And then after uh, thinking that to myself many, many times, one time it occurred to me, he's probably thinking, look at that idiot. He's <laughs> 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 walking in circles around the building. He's not getting anywhere. <laughs> so I, I'm cautious with, with my judgments of folks, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's been life changing. The more I, I get at least three minutes. I mean, I do 30 to 40 minutes of cardio every day, seven days a week, 365 mm -hmm. days a year. And it's certainly not my preference to, to do quote unquote cardio, but the 10 minute walk feels so much different to me. It's, it's bite size. It's, it's mm -hmm. simple. Uh, I get so many different benefits from it. Even if I'm sitting at home and I'm, you know, sometimes I'll be reading something, my eyes will get heavy. I'll start to nod off. I started, I watched a video once of this motivational lady and she said, just start counting down backwards from five to one, five, four, no, Robin? three. It might've been. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah, the five second. And do, yeah. You do it. Yeah. This yes. is yeah. Well then I, then I realized that I've got attention deficit disorder. So if I started <laughs> five, I would never really get to one. So I turned it into three, two, one, which, <laughs> which, uh, which works. So I would do that. I do three, two, one and I stand up and I go take a 10 minute walk unbelievable how it can recharge your battery. And on bad weather, I've got a bike in the garage as Hofthor does in his garage in Iceland. And these 400 pound guys take 10 minute walks and carry thermos around, you know, mm. and Nadia Wyatt who took third in the Miss Olympia did three 10 minute walks a day. That was all the quote unquote cardio that she did in preparation. Wow. We used obviously a calorie deficit, but she, she lifted weights twice a day. That was her way of of the on the energy expenditure side of creating of maintaining the calorie deficit, but she was doing something she loved and it was stimulating uh, the the muscles, which was her sport. Uh, form follows function again, mm. so that she uh, she was able to maintain lean mass better going into the uh, competition. She carried more muscle than she had in previous years because mm. she didn't cardio it all away. Yeah, and it's just so easy. Like it's so interesting because we. Well, I don't know when we got these bloody aura rings, maybe it was like, I don't know, eight months ago. And cause I've never had like a step target or anything. And we put the aura rings on and it's just interesting. This like Craig's like, I'd probably average 16,000 steps a day. And that's just cause I don't like, I just eat lots of food. Like you said, you eat more food, you got more energy and I'm up and down the steps all the time. Go, like I just don't like to sit still. And it's just really interesting. Um, you know, and I probably do like what you do is unintentionally, is I just every hour will get up from my desk, walk up and down the stairs, walk around the house. Sometimes I'll go out, walk around the, take the dogs around the, you know, our little island that we live on. But it, you're right. It's just such an easy, you know, all of these, <laughs> these habits are really easy. 
it made me think of a few things. Every time I go to the grocery store, I park way away where nobody is. And I see these people driving in circles at Costco to try and find that one spot that's up close. I, and, and I watch them as I pull into the parking lot. I see them circling. I drive way to the back and park, and I'm in the store, and they're still driving in circles trying to find that one spot that's right next to the door. So I'm, I'm definitely a walker. I should say this because I mentioned a few times that in terms of compensation, you don't have to and you shouldn't uh, train too hard or diet too hard. Uh, a lot of people think they got to go out and crush themselves and run, you know, half marathons every day. Uh, and in fact, that is actually counterproductive. You'll, you'll end up getting tired and sitting more and eating more. Uh, I'm almost embarrassed sometimes to tell people how little I have to do now and how much I, I can eat. And, and I'm talking about three 10 minute walks and my workouts, maybe 40 minutes, four times a week. And at 54 years old, I can maintain a really high percentage of my peak uh, in terms of level of fitness. Now, it's not my 300-pound powerlifter myself or my 5% IFBB pro stage self, uh, but it's a very respectable uh, in-between that, that I'm shocked sometimes. Like, I took all of last week off. I had a little head cold, um, and, uh, and you don't lose a thing. I mean, it's amazing. We've, and we've earned this. There's no question we had to put in some time, many, many months or a, a number of years. But it's what we do consistently that's most important. We consistently eat within, you know, I say not eat like an asshole. We consistently eat, uh, you know, a pretty similar number of calories in, in diet plan. We consistently move 10,000 steps a day. We consistently go and do the to the gym, but we love it. So it's I, I almost have to apologize. That's something that, that I enjoy, whereas some people it's just torture. So one of the first things I do is try and find some sort of loading uh, uh, exercise that they, they like or they're never coming back. But that's that's it. And it, it's not. And you, I do it. I have, like I said, 200 seminars in 14 countries and 50 states in the last four years. I have three kids two businesses, you know, I do online training, got the meal prep company, eBooks. I respond to probably, I've responded to over 50,000 DMs. I get probably 50 a day for free. I don't, I don't charge for that. You know, I just, people ask me questions and I, and I copy and paste and give them little, you know, tidbits of information here or there, or a reference to an article or a video. Uh, you know, I'm busy is the point, like most of our clients are. And so I'm, uh, you know, I'm empathetic and I, I, everything that I advise them to do is with, I think the thought in mind is, can they adhere to this long-term? It does it make their life easier and still allow them to fit their goals. Uh, cause compliance is the science. Oh, and you just nailed it. I think, and that's the same with our clients and us too. You're like, we're really busy and it's easy to commit to four days a week training and doing this, yeah. you know, the walks, the small walks every day, the food prep gives you time back. Um, and you're right. And I think it's a small time commitment for the big result that you get, you know, once you build that muscle and like you say, like, I feel like I had to obviously the first have many years put in, I trained more and more volume, probably higher intensity. But once I built the base, the maintenance of the base is less, like you don't have to do as much. So I think if the women could just put the time in and build the muscle, you know, you'll get to a point where, I mean, I always want to get stronger because I just want to get stronger. But... I hear you. 
<laughs> it's addictive, like you say, but, you know, I'll never be trying to stop increasing my squad or whatever I'm doing. But it's, yeah, it's just, you know, if you got really busy, even if you just train three days a week, you could maintain your muscle training less, you know. Yes. So, yeah. That, and I Twice was, as hard to gain, half yeah. as hard to maintain. Yeah. I, I did see you, you made a post recently, you were talking about mechanical tension and, and the, the intensity level required to, to make progress. And you do need to get within a, a couple reps of failure. And so, you know, if you pick up a weight, then you do it 10 times and you could have done 20, probably not going to get a result unless you're a beginner, um, which is, it made me think of a funny story because I, I trained a lot of women for a lot of years. And when I first would get when I would get them as a new client, the first question, every woman always asks, how many reps? That's the first question. And I never answer the question. I just, I'll let you know. And they hate it. They, I mean, immediately they hate me. They hate the workout program because the, the, the answer is until you can't do anymore. That's, you know, what I watch is speed. You know, if, if they're bench pressing, let's say, and they, they do one, two, three, four, five, and, and they get to number seven and the speed, the bar slow, speed slows down significantly. That's probably enough. I can let them go with that. I don't need to see one or two more grind it out. I, I don't. They've had, they've had mass, maximum muscle fiber recruitment and they've started to have some drop off. That's good for me, but I can never give them a number. They always think that there's a particular number of sets and reps and there really isn't, uh, you know, there's some some really great science-based guidelines that uh, we've all benefited from the works of, uh, of uh, Brett Contreras and, and uh, Brad Schoenfeld and, and their, uh, and their studies on hypertrophy. And I always provide those to my clients, but um, I set up programs that fit their time schedule first. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, we go from there just so it's convenient and, uh, and they can comply with it. But that's, that's always the case is that, that, Yes, it's simple. It's not easy. Uh, it is a new, for a lot of people, it's a new set of habits that they have to get into. And they have to, if you want to change, you do have to take your body somewhere it hasn't been before, which can be one to two and two to three and three to four, not zero to a hundred. Yeah, you know, yeah, you don't have to go in there and, and start an advanced CrossFit program on day <laughs> one and get rhabdo. You know, that's not required, uh, but you have to do a little more than you did yesterday. You have to sit on the couch a little less. You have to take a few more steps, maybe switch from, uh, you know, a sugary soda to a diet soda. You can get progress from that. That's, those are, you know, definitely uh, achievable uh, steps in the right direction. Oh, so true. We actually just, we record little snippet podcasts every week and we did this one on how many days a week should I be training? Cause we always yeah. get that question and we just talked a lot about, well, what can you commit to? You know, yeah. if you can only commit to three days, just do three days mm. consistently yeah. do it well. You know, if you're a bit more advanced and, you know, move it to four and we just, you know, like yeah. it's so many of the women, they, they set these really unsustainable, I've got to train five days and do all this cardio. And then they, can't yes. do it and they fail and they're like oh this is not sustainable so i'm like just do what you can sustain and do it well and do it consistently or they try and change too many things at once <laughs> try yeah. and drop too many calories at once try and do too much like you said trying and train too often and too hard doing things that, that probably are unnecessary at once uh ease into it because uh you're not going to get any more benefit your body can only adapt so fast. 
yeah, yeah. And, and and you just need to do a little more than yesterday and you don't need to to do what the fitness models on instagram are doing uh, to maintain their physique at you know such a high level but i think too Sam, i just want to quickly say this at the end is that like i'm pretty simple like i, I just like to know okay what's the weights i need to lift what's the food i eat when do I go to bed? Yeah. Do the steps. A lot of people, I feel women overcomplicate it. Like I look at the women who get, and I'm not saying there's not nuances because I don't want to take away from what you or Craig do as coaches. Cause I'm not a coach. I just do the marketing and, you know, I'm yep. the face of the business, but I just really feel like when I focused on the basic stuff and I did it well, I got really good results. And the women in yep. our program that do the same thing, you know, consistently show up at the gym, put the time and effort into learning how to execute the movements well, then gradually progress the weight. They do their steps, they hit their macros, they eat, you know, most of the foods we talk about, they get good results. Yeah. A couple of things there. One, I've said this many, many times in all my seminars, I say this, people just ask me, Stan, just tell me exactly what to do. And I do, but that's not the only path to, I've said there's many paths to the same destination. I tell you the one that I think will work best. I use a detailed questionnaire to try and navigate that for the client and find out what some of their personal preferences are, their schedule, all of that, for sure. I try and design it, you know, with the idea of compliance in mind, first and foremost. Uh, But they do want me to tell them exactly what to do. And then, you know, in in our industry, of course, then you get some blowback that, that they don't have to do that. Well, no, they don't. But they have to do something, you know, they have to exercise some sort of cognitive restraint, whether it's skipping a meal or skipping carbs or, you know, measuring their food. I don't care. But there has to be some measure uh, of, of calorie control uh, or, or they're, you know, they're just not going to be successful. So that that always is the case. I, I do tell my clients I give them an actual meal plan and I ask them to stick to it. Um, but that's not to say that that we couldn't make adjustments. Uh, but at the same time, uh you know, it's not carte blanche. There's no all you can eat diet because you did X workout or you ate Y food. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And you know what, ladies, like I've been there and it is freeing. It, like you think that, oh, it sounds restrictive, but it's not. You just don't think about food anymore. You love your food. You've like, I always say, imagine waking up every day, looking in the mirror and loving the body that you have because it's strong and it's capable and you lift these heavy weights and you sleep well and you have a like good menstrual cycle. Would it be worth just putting in that bit of effort to prep some meals, to eat the food, to do the training? And it, it is totally worth it. You've just got to get over the hump, I think, initially. <laughs> Yeah, I have a big list of foods that I put in my, and I ask them on a scale of one to 10, do you like these or not like these? I certainly wouldn't prescribe a food item to someone that they didn't enjoy. You know, mm-hmm. I just take those off the list and I make the diet in accordance to whatever they say is seven through 10. Those go on the diet, Yeah, you know, yeah. assuming I can meet all of the, the foundational requirements for calories, protein, and, and micronutrients, then, you know, we, we run from there. Oh, Stan, this was the best. I'm just conscious of the time. I know you have to go. Craig, do you want to ask him anything else? No, I, I, I actually, I just, uh, we've, we've had a few um, questions lately regarding salt. And, yeah, uh, you know, I like it. Obviously, again, if we're looking at certainly from a performance standpoint, but just general health, can you just uh, touch on some of the benefits and the, I guess the demonization of salt? Because it still goes around the people that have got, blood pressure they're like oh cut out all the salt in your diet i'm like how do you even do that like what are you eating to to avoid yeah i have a series of uh rants on youtube where i talk about a lot of this stuff i talk about the obesity epidemic i talked about stress for success in one of the rants i talk about salt 
And uh, of course, everything you say in this industry is then misconstrued and applied to the wrong population. Then you get a whole bunch of blowback. But, you know, Stan, you can't recommend salt for sedentary, obese, hypertensives. And, and I'm like, well, I never did. You know, I, uh, this was another uh, remnant from the guru diet. Don't eat red meat. Don't eat uh, eggs. Don't eat dairy. Don't eat fruit. Don't eat salt was another one on the list. And uh, that has a lot of uh, terrible consequences, particularly for people who are exercising a lot and they're sweating out sodium and iodine. Uh, and so I recommended that, and those people who aren't eating fast food and they aren't eating processed foods, that's where the bulk of your salt is in your diet. So when you're eating homemade whole foods, it's okay to salt your food. Uh, and I talked about, you know, the, uh, kind of a, a range. And then that was dependent upon your workload, the, the temperature, the humidity, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, no, you don't have to avoid salt. There are, is a small percentage of the population that are hypertensive or salt sensitive who will see an elevation in blood pressure from, uh, uh, adding salt. Although that elevation in blood pressure is almost completely ameliorated with the addition of adequate levels of potassium, calcium, and magnesium. Uh, hence, uh, those, um, uh, was a low salt diet that they, they study a lot. The, um, uh, I don't know why the name's escaping me now, but there's, uh, there's lots of studies on low salt diets, but really what they are is high potassium, high fruit and vegetable diets. And it, uh, it, it lowers blood pressure as a result. Um, I don't think more is better. I think if, uh, you know, I worked with Lane Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles, he sweats out five grams of sodium an hour. Should he take in less than two grams of sodium a day? Certainly not. You know, and if you're a, an active individual, uh, and you're eating healthy foods and you're sweating, then you should be putting salt on your food. You, you don't avoid it. Um, it's not a more is better scenario, but, uh, it definitely will help you with stamina and endurance. And as a personal trainer, having trained thousands of clients over the years. I worked in gyms, you know, in college and after college, uh, owned two different gyms. Um, I've just noticed that people who try and restrict salt who are active, uh, they tend to, to have, uh, be, have poor performance in the gym to the point where some of them will even get up from a leg press and be dizzy and have to hold on to something. And you can remedy that with a quarter teaspoon of salt just 500 milligrams of sodium. I've never recommended more than that. Uh, but for elite athletes, like when I worked with Camille LeBlanc, who was a CrossFit national champion, we gave her uh, half a teaspoon or a thousand milligrams of sodium before a 40 minute event. And that was sufficient to help her maintain her weight throughout uh, the Reebok uh, national championships or world championships in CrossFit. Normally she would lose three, four pounds over the course of the week. Uh, but, with adequate hydration throughout the week, we're able to keep her within one pound of her starting weight, which made her perform better as the days progress. So that's my, my spiel on salt. There are people who are salt sensitive. It should, should be cautious with it. Uh, the others, um, if you're avoiding uh, salty foods and you're active, then don't be afraid to put salt on your food. I actually prefer iodized sable salt because iodine deficiency, iodine is uh, is necessary for proper thyroid function. And if you're not getting sufficient iodine, which you sweat out as well as an active individual, uh, it may affect your thyroid function. So uh, I'm not too particular about certain type of salt. 
but pink salt and and uh, other and sea salt, etc. Then there's no iodine in them, so you need to find an alternate source, which is why I recommend a couple ounces of cranberry juice daily, pure cranberry juice, because uh, it has uh, the RDA probably. I think three ounces is about 200% of the RDA, right around 500, about 300 micrograms of iodine in three ounces of cranberry juice, which is hard to find in Australia and Europe. It's mostly in the Northwest, um, Canada and up here. So it can be kind of expensive down there. Uh, so iodized salt, I think, is, a, is kind of is something that people should not avoid. And that's consistent with the uh, you know, dietitians' recommendations. Lane Norton did a long video on this where he said almost exactly the same thing I said a couple of years after I said it and nobody attacked him. So uh, I just, I'm an easy target, I guess. Oh, awesome. Oh, thanks so much, Dan, yeah, for coming on. We just love this so much. And I just feel like our listeners will get so much out of it. And we're going to drop the links to Stan's um, Instagram account, his website, The Vertical Diet. We've got all your shit we've got the vertical diet um i shouldn't say shit it's good stuff i don't mean that but <laughs> thank you <laughs> we've got all your stuff um so yeah get get on follow stan he's the best he's really strong too and like he like he's talking about he looks good he looks good you 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 are in amazing incredible shape um so yeah he thank you yeah he's he's and he's you just you know, i think you're just funny and you just seem like a really nice guy and yeah we we really I, like you I'll stop blowing smoke up your ass now. (laughs) I have to, I have to stay fit or nobody will listen to me. But the truth is I just have to stay jacked long enough till I get my daughter to college. I don't want those little (laughs) high school boys. I got to be able to intimidate those little high school punks. (laughs) 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 She's only 10. So I got eight years. Yeah. Still got a lot to go. Yeah. We still look at awesome when you're 60, I'm sure. And 70, I say to Craig, I'm like, I want to be deadlifting when I'm like 80, 90, you know, be this jacked granny. It's just so I love strong. seeing those guys on social media. I follow every single every single guy older than me that still lifts well. I, I'm I'm following one after the other. Who's the guy that you like? The other older guys? He's sixty. What's the guy? The three uh, DMJ? No, he's is he in fifty? Oh, Jeff Alberts. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. he's he's fantastic. Yeah, he's yeah, awesome. these guys look great. And yeah. I just Mike O'Hearn's my nemesis. He's <laughs> he's the he defies like that hate. guy. That guy. He looks yeah. good. He's a handsome he dude too. He's a handsome yep. guy. You're handsome too, yeah. though, Steve. But he's he's a, he's handsome for a woman too. Yeah. <laughs> he's very he's pretty, both. actually. He's handsome <laughs> and pretty at the same time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that guy. Oh, I awesome. That guy. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks so much, Dad. I'll let you go. I'm conscious that you probably got to pick up the kids, and yeah. um, we'll get you on again when you release the book. So let us know how far thanks, away is it. Guys. I appreciate you. I don't know. You know how books are. It's a work in progress. Yeah, so it's a while. But anyway, thanks, Dan. And um, yeah, I'm ho- hopefully, maybe we'll get you on again soon. Anytime, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks Dan. Dan. Appreciate Bye. it. Bye.